Welcome to episode 61 of the HMO Success podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to give you an update on what's happening with council tax and HMOs. Welcome to the HMO Success podcast. My name's Wendy, and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. So welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. Thanks ever so much for tuning in today. So this episode is going out a little bit later than usual. Normally I get my episodes out first thing early on a Friday morning, but I was a little bit later today for a deliberate reason. I had a very good conversation that I want to share with you all about HMOs and council tax and the results of some of that conversation are going to help us as we move forward in our campaign. So let me just give you an update on what's happening with the rebanding of individual rooms for council tax. If you are an HMO landlord, it's probably something you're concerned about. Or if you're thinking about getting into HMOs, it might be one of those areas that you thought, oh, I just don't know, it's a bit of a risk. So let me give you just a bit of a brief background. If you want to know more, I did record a podcast a few months ago, episode 38 to be exact. And in that podcast, I explained to you what the background is to why the valuation office are choosing to reband certain people's HMOs as individual rooms for council tax. Uh, But just a a brief note on that. So what we've seen uh, over the last few months since we've been having a a bit of a soft launch of the campaign, I wouldn't say we've had a a sort of meteoric launch of our HMO and council tax campaign yet, but that will happen. Uh, So the background to this is that across the UK, particularly in England, we're seeing mostly in England, not so much Scotland or Wales, some HMOs in some local areas have been picked out by the valuation office and the rooms are being banded individually for council tax. It doesn't seem to matter whether those rooms have an ensuite or they don't have an ensuite. Um, in fact, there is a case of um, a, a landlord that I know of uh, in the northeast who has a four-bedroomed HMO, so it doesn't even have a license, and none of the rooms have ensuites, and yet each of those rooms has been rebanded for council tax. So it is a pernicious approach by the valuation office, and one that we are determined to fight. One of the areas which I feel really needs to change is clarity. We simply have a whole set of laws, regulation and practice guidance which doesn't tie up. And what we're seeing is valuation officers taking case-by-case situations and deciding that that particular house should have all of its rooms, a, a council tax ban should be applied to each of those rooms. And it's rather kind of indiscriminate. There doesn't seem to be any logic behind it. You could have a street where there's two HMOs. One of them has had all the rooms individually banded and then the other one hasn't. And it just is not fair. There there isn't parity being applied across the spectrum. So this is an area that we really want to see changed. So again, go back to episode 38 if you want to know a little bit more in detail about the background to this and uh, the, the laws that govern council tax. Yes, believe you me, you need a stiff drink, (laughs) either at the beginning or at the end of that one. 
Now, you might already be part of our Facebook group, and uh, this is a Facebook group which is here to educate and help you and inform you not only about what uh, the small group of us are doing to campaign against this pernicious extra tax, but also just to help educate you about what the the uh, situation is currently. And if you're going through this, how you can uh, appeal against the valuation office ruling. So it is a Facebook group, which is uh, if you put in Facebook dot com forward slash groups forward slash H-M-O-C-T. So H-M-O-C-T is our Facebook group and you can join that and that will give you uh, regular information and updates on what's happening. If you've had your HMO rebanded, then we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear how it happened, when it happened, what action you took. And on the Facebook group, you can also discover what the steps are to going through an appeal with the valuation office. Uh, So that's there really for your own education and support. So what's been happening over the last few weeks? Well, there's three of us in the campaign team at the moment. So we're very small and we all have full-time jobs or businesses to run. So it's not as if it's become a full-time occupation, but I can see this taking up a little bit more of my time each and every week. Um, so I'm, I'm, I do apologize in advance if you've been waiting to hear from us or you'd like some more input from us. Uh, we are, we're desperately trying to get more people on board. Uh, in fact, right now we, we think we may have found somebody who could do some coordination and admin for the group and uh, we're looking for somebody who might be able to help us with media and media inquiries um, sending out press releases and dealing with interviews and that kind of thing so if you're interested in that please do get in touch we'd love to hear from you so the three of us um, Darren Brewer Alan Murdy and myself have formed a small team and together we have the experience the knowledge the legal understanding I believe to push this forward But of course, the more the merrier. And in any campaign, it's always a good idea to get people on your side. So we really value your support. If you've already, you know, put your arm up to or put your hand up to kind of say hi. Yes, you're part of this. We really appreciate it. Um, But you might be wondering, okay, that's great, Wendy, but what's happening? Well, One of the reasons why we've been a little bit quiet over the last few weeks is that Alan, who is the barrister who's working with us on this case or on this uh, campaign, I should say, has had a number of test cases go to the valuation tribunal and these are being heard over August. So we're actually waiting till the end of August to really determine what that means uh, in terms of policy and progress on our campaign. It might be that those tribunals, those appeals are successful, in which case we've got good foot to stand on in terms of what we do moving forward. But equally, if those outcomes are not what we're expecting and uh, don't give us room for hope, then we may have to slightly change the direction of travel. So that's why we have been a little bit quiet recently. Uh, Darren himself is going through his own appeal and Alan is supporting and helping him with that appeal. So there are a number of these cases which I believe you could almost call test cases and I think once we come out of August into September we're going to hear much more about what the result of those uh, cases, those appeals has been and what conclusions we can draw. Once we're clear about how the Valuation Tribunal Service is dealing with those appeals, it gives us much more clarity about the the direction of travel for us as a campaign. 
we are seeing some small wins. There are, uh, I, I believe, some signs out there that people are starting to fight back. Whereas maybe two or three years ago, if a landlord had their HMO rebanded, they might have just accepted it and got on with it and either paid the council tax or passed it on to the tenant. Um, actually, you know, I think we're beginning to see a little bit more feistiness coming through, which I'm personally really pleased about. I do feel that the government have taken massive advantage of landlords over the last 10 years. And really one of the, the big nails in the coffin for us as landlords was Section 24, probably the most damaging piece of tax legislation to have affected the private rental sector. And this was this this happened even with some fight there was some fight by ditch the tenant tax group and yet even they didn't manage to overturn that piece of legislation now we have a slightly different situation here in that fewer people own HMOs and invest in HMOs and within that group uh, it's not universally being applied so you could have invested in HMOs for years and years and you might continue to invest in HMOs for years and years and this may not affect you at all. Or you could be a brand new landlord and this could affect your very first HMO. So this is where I feel that the uh, the, the valuation office are working completely indiscriminately and in a way which means that it's very difficult for us as uh, landlords and investors to plan. So we are waiting to hear the outcome of some of those appeals. We have seen a few people challenge and starting to get a little bit more traction with the valuation office. We've seen a couple of people actually win their initial, uh, I suppose, uh, defence to the VOA, whereby they may have initially had their rooms rebanded, but then the valuation office has overturned that once they've seen the layout of the building. So I do think that there is there is some glimmer of hope here. The other thing that's been happening is that we have been invited to speak more at events. Um, I've been writing a bit more for certain publications. I've been interviewed by a couple of uh, you know industry rags about HMOs. So I think that the message is getting out there. I think more and more people are becoming aware of what the issues are. Even if they haven't been personally affected, they're actually very interested to know what the outcome would be. And I think that's a good sign. I think as investors, we do need to stay abreast of the situation and abreast of the curve when it comes to what legislation is out there and what's kind of going on in the wider world. My discussions with Alan and Darren have resulted in lots and lots of different um, kind of areas being covered. We've talked about hereditaments, we've talked about the nature of tenants, we've talked about uh, the role of those four tests of whether something is, uh, you know, it, it is rateable by, by virtue of the tenancy. Uh, and these, again, are all kind of legal nuggets, legal arguments that the valuation office will often put forward as reasons why those individual rooms should have uh, individual council tax applied. Our core argument, however, focuses on what we would call a bricks and mortar test, and it is the test of whether that room is self-contained or not. Having debated between the three of us, which is going to be the most easy and powerful argument to persuade the, the lawmakers, the, um, the, 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 the policymakers, and I suppose you could also say the public about what is the easiest message to get across, by far the easiest message is self-containment. 
Now, we have debated this at some length, and I've had many other conversations and debates with people about what is the best approach for our campaign. Because we could go down many different alleys. When you bring together the legislation, the regulations, the guidance, the rules, and the valuation office regulation and guidance practice guidance notes, you'll find a huge amount of contradictory argument and contradictory cases. And it's really so incredibly complex, which is why I'm very grateful that we've got Alan on board, who is a council tax expert. He literally has written the book on council tax. Uh, It's not the most interesting read, but it's very informative. Thank you, Alan. So the key here is to find a message to find an argument that people can relate to. And if you're an HMO landlord and you've got ensuite rooms, but you don't have any kitchen facilities in those rooms and you're relying on the tenants using the kitchen, the main kitchen as the cooking area, then you do not have self-contained rooms. Those rooms are reliant on a kitchen being provided separately, which is why it is an HMO. It is not a normal family home. And Just as in a normal family home, rooms which are en suite do not have to pay extra council tax. Our argument is in an HMO, which is a house of multiple occupation, and there is a shared kitchen, there are shared communal facilities, the HMO bedrooms, which might or might not have an en suite, should not be taxed additionally to the main house. It's true that if you have five adults living in a house, you're going to have more usage of local council services. And there is an argument, there is an argument, I would support this, to say if we have to make some compromise, the compromise should be that we maybe have a plus sign, we have a plus banding. So when it comes to council tax banding, we might say because this is a licensed HMO, we might add another 10%, 15% council tax to the bill. So ordinarily, you would have been a band A, and you might be paying, say, £100 a month for your band A council tax. Because it is a licensed HMO, the plus would mean that you maybe now pay another 15%. But in, uh, if you like, attack of that argument, I've also heard it said, surely that's what the license fee does. What is the license fee doing if it's not paying for additional services? And I think that's a very good point. We're already paying extra taxes for licensing our HMOs. Why should we pay extra for the council tax element just because we have five additional or five people sharing a home? Because it'd be quite possible to have five adults who are related together sharing a home five doors down on the same street and they only still pay one council tax bill at band A. There are huge amounts of anomalies in this whole situation. As you can see, it's a complex web of information, practice and law. And this is why we believe that there needs to be a change. We need to have clarity so that there there can be assuredness to the HMO community that if they're going to be developing an HMO, they understand exactly what the implications are. What I find so pernicious about this is that there is not clarity. There is not implicit and explicit guidance about it. Uh, It comes down to one person's decision and then it's being just simply applied without any uh, debate, without any discussion. This is what you get. And I personally feel that is quite wrong. So to me, it is a very anti-democratic. 
you know, one of the things that we, we, we talk about in, in HMOs is how actually you're trying to create a bit of a community um, and the whole co-living experience. And I would say many HMOs have the co-living experience, even though they might not brand themselves as co-living. Um, but the whole HMO experience is about people living together in a home and they share facilities. They may have to share a bathroom, they may have to share a kitchen. They often do share a kitchen. So therefore, if we're going to reband those rooms individually, what we're doing is effectively breaking up that HMO. It's no longer an HMO. And the word disaggregation is often used when we talk about breaking up a house from the point of view of council tax. But actually, these properties that house a number of people are providing a very valuable service to the community. Many of our tenants would not be able to afford to rent a single buy-to-let flat, an apartment or a small house because of the additional bills. They love the fact it's all inclusive. They pay one rate, you know, one amount per week or per month and everything's included. Now, it's very hard to find that accommodation if you start to look at the single buy-to-let market. Generally, in the buy-to-let market, you'll be paying your rent, but then you'll also be responsible for the council tax and all the bills, which can sometimes be uh, a bit indeterminate. It's, It's uncertain how much you'll be paying. Whereas in an HMO, it's a fixed amount. It's clear what you get, so it's easy to budget. And for people who are on lower incomes or living alone, this is an ideal way to live. It's true that in some parts of the UK, we are seeing a build-up of HMO provision. And of course, whenever you get uh, good profits, you're going to have people piling into that form of investing, aren't you? That just goes with the territory. But that doesn't mean to say that that gives the government a right to start to tax left, right and centre, those of us who are providing that kind of accommodation. Uh, I think it's still a very valuable form of accommodation. And without it, we are definitely going to see rising homelessness. And surely that is an area that the government should be extremely careful to avoid, given what we've just been experiencing with COVID. So how can you get involved? Well, We have now completed, after many weeks of uh, drafting and redrafting, a letter that you can send to your MP. So on the Facebook group, the, the, the MP letter will be uploaded. You can download it, you can add in your details, and then you can send that to your local MP. If you have been affected by your your HMO being rebanded, please put in your letter something about your own experiences If it hasn't been affected, it would still be great if you could put something in about your own experiences. Letters to MPs generally work much better when there is an element of personalisation about them. And if you're going to put something in about your own experiences, that is more likely to to hit a nerve with your local MP rather than them feeling that you've just sent out a a sort of blanket letter uh, to all MPs across the country. So it would be better if you could put something in about how you could be affected or you have been affected by this. Now, I mentioned earlier on that I've been having a good conversation this morning. I had a really interesting meeting and that meeting was with Platinum Property Partners. You may have heard of them. They run a franchise operation for people who are building HMO portfolios and they're, they're, the, the, the guy who started Platinum is a guy called Steve Bolton. And he ran a campaign a few years ago on the tenants, the tenant tax I mentioned earlier, ditch the tenant tax section against section 24. And 
Platinum Property Partners have a wide network of uh, HMO investors. So they are now coming on board to help with the campaign, which is super. And I'm really delighted about that. And it means that moving forward, we will have the backing of a large organization. So we're working out exactly how our plan of action is going to be implemented, what results we're looking for. And uh, the next step is to get into a, a real clarified document, what it is that we're trying to change, how we're going to go about doing it and what the next steps need to be and we're going to have a real clear plan of attack the last few months have really been about building up that kind of head of steam understanding how big this problem is getting people on board with the message and now I think come September once we have these test cases out of the way we will have much more clarity about the power of our argument and how far we might need to take this to make it a reality so please stay tuned If you haven't already joined the Facebook group, please do join the Facebook group or get in touch with me if you want uh, some more updates and information. And we will be regularly updating people about how we're getting on and the the progress we're making. Um, But for now, I just wanted to give you that update to let you know where we're up to, how you can get involved and where we're up to in terms of the legal battle. So stay informed, stay in touch And here's to us all having a profitable HMO portfolio. Thank you for listening to the HMO Success Podcast. If you'd like to know more about how you can create a profitable HMO business, please visit our website, hmosuccess.co.uk, to find out more. We have plenty of free tools and information for you there, and also on our Facebook group, The Ultimate HMO Success System. We look forward to connecting with you very soon. Thanks for listening.